Hey, it's podcast producer Bobby Richards. And before we jump into today's episode, here is Donald Miller with some exciting news around our upcoming Coach Builder Summit that's happening February 1st and 2nd. It's the ultimate live stream for coaches, consultants, financial advisors, physical trainers, therapists, counselors. I would consider a coach anybody who sells their wisdom. Anybody who sells their knowledge and their, you know, their coaching, their ability to help you transform into somebody else based on the knowledge that they have, to me, that's a coach. At the summit, Amy Porterfield is going to be with us. Will Gadara, who's who wrote the book Unreasonable Hospitality. You know, Will started 11 Madison Park, became the number one restaurant in the world. He is going to be with us for Coach Builder Summit and a ton of other celebrities that you're going to love hearing from. If any part of you thinks that you could pivot your career into a coaching career, you've got to attend the summit. That's all we're going to talk about all day long. Go to coachbuilder.com slash coach summit, coachbuilder.com slash coach summit. Again, if you've ever thought about building a coaching business as a side hustle that hopefully will take over your life, go to coachbuilder.com slash coach summit and sign up today. The job of an entrepreneur is to create the job and then get the hell out of the way. Welcome to the Business Made Simple Podcast brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. I'm your host, Donald Miller. Today, we're going to talk about teams, how to recruit great people, how to retain those people, and how to get most from those people. And in studio today, we have Mike Michalowicz, because we're going to talk about his new book, All In, which is about team building. Mike, welcome. Good to be back with you, Don. This is a huge, huge deal. I mean, people have a lot of anxiety about their team and about building a team. And you've done some deep research on this. Very deep. I think a lot of it emanates from our self-perspective as a leader. So we think we have struggling teams or difficult teams, and it's really a change internally we need to make. All right, we're going to make that change. That's this episode of Business Made Simple coming up. Your sales software shouldn't be a bummer. When you step inside your CRM, you should feel equipped to do your best work. And that's the magic of HubSpot Sales Hub. The new Sales Hub is designed to help you win. With an intuitive prospecting workspace and AI-powered tools that reduce your workload, closing deals is no big deal at all. Get AI-powered tools like ChatSpot that are tailor-made to help you automate steps across the sales pipeline so your teams can take back their time and spend it on the tasks that matter. Close more deals and get on track for your best Q1 yet. Learn about HubSpot Sales Hub at hubspot.com sales. You know, you and I have been in business a while. How long did it take you to realize that the team is 90% of whether or not this thing's going to work? Once you get past the yeah. the solo hustle yeah. and you get people in the room to help you, how much, what percentage is the team responsible for the success of the organization? You know yeah. what I mean? I, I'm embarrassed to say this. I think it took me until my 40s to figure out that I'm not the center of the business. Is that because you had a small business for a while? Or, yeah, I started or? my first business right out of college. I had a business for 20 years. I built and sold some companies, but I always attributed it to me. <laughs> and uh, it, it was a big ego thing. And maybe there's youthful bravado. Yeah. Um, but the day came that I realized if I am doing the work, I am preventing others from doing the work. I shared this in a speech. I did there's a statistic from the SBA. They identified 17% of people will ever start or operate a small business. So that's you, that's me. Yeah. So if you look at your kindergarten class, there's 30 kids in my class, 17%, you know, five kids. Only 20% sustain the business successfully and and have a business that's hospitable for employment for others. So 20% times 17% is 3%. That means one kid from your kindergarten class, happened to be Don Miller, one kid from my class actually runs a business that can sustain employment for others. 
and I realized one day, if I'm doing the work, I'm preventing other people from doing the work. You mean from having a job or from yeah. doing the work better than you might be able to well, do both. it? or all? Yeah, both. But 90, say 7%, because 3% actually run a sustainable, healthy business. 97% of people are looking for good jobs with good companies. Right. And that's our job. So the job of an entrepreneur is to create the job and then get the hell out of the way. Hmm. But I was like, oh, I'm now, the listen, best. Ev- almost everybody you're talking to, though, can't do it because they are high impact, high internal locus locus of control, strong bias toward action. They're just going to do it themselves because you took longer than half a second. Yeah, type A's. (laughs) Total type A's. And and that limits them. Yeah, it totally limits them. And it it limits their impact because whatever availability you have is the impact the business can have. I use a technique called fractionalization. So if I looked at you, I'd say, what are all the things that Don does? The tasks. Those are fractions of you. And can I find people to fill in those cracks? I think the mistake is that most entrepreneurs say, I got to find the next me. I need another Don Miller here. There's only one. Right. I remember that. I remember trying to duplicate myself, did it once, and realized the exact opposite is true. What do you mean? I need somebody who has all the characteristics and skill sets that I do not have. I'm in. I needed somebody who can run a business, who can be a project manager, who can get things into the end zone. I'll draw up plays all day. Yeah. Right? running those plays and getting the ball in the end zone, I, right. I'm not very good at that. Yeah. Right? And I'd argue you're also doing things that don't allow you to do that super Th- That's exactly right. So we need to get it off your plate. There's a funny thing I do uh, in presentations. I'll ask the audience, I'll say, who does not have a personal assistant just by survey? And I would say, in most cases, small business, these are companies doing one to five million. Yeah. I would say over 50% raise their hands. I would say it's upwards of 80% of people at that stage don't have a personal assistant. And if they're less than a million, it's 100%. And I'm like, if you don't have a personal assistant, you are the personal assistant. <laughs> you know, we got to start hiring. Yeah. We got to start learning the process of delegating. And I need to learn that I'm not the, the center of the business. I'm simply one of the spokes. I have a co-writer. Her name is AJ Harper. Mm-hmm. Every book I write, she is writing in correlation with me, which means I'm writing. I turn over to her. She cleans it up. It's like a live editor. Yeah. And then I continue with the next chapter. And she's like, oh, you're missing this and that. That partnership for me has been extraordinary. My first book I wrote solely by myself, and it took so much editorial work after the fact. Well, the first book is a nightmare anyway. My God. Because you're just so self-conscious. Once you totally. get past, like, I really actually don't care yeah. what the Amazon reviews are. I'm going to write what I think is fun. Yeah. That gets a lot faster. But you, you're, you're a genius, because I want to stop. You're a genius at systems and processes. Thank you. You really are. You should be running your own business automation company. <laughs> oh, they're going to say, you should run your own business. Stop. <laughs> I should. I should. But you go in and figure something out, how to do it better and how to sophisticate. Then you turn around and you write a book on it, right? Yeah. The new one is about teams and teamwork. Yeah. And this one, I, I got to confess, I haven't read it because it just came out, but right. I'm going to read this book. Oh, I'd be honored. Yeah. Well, I'll listen to the audio book, to be honest with you. I'd be even more honored. I haven't read a book. I don't even know if I know how to read anymore. I I'm think very audio-centric <laughs> yeah, myself. Yeah, that's exactly it. All right. So the new book is about teams and processes around teams. The hardest thing to do, there's a lot of hard things to do when you're growing a business. For sure. Once you get past, what, three employees? I feel like you start a business because you want to create products, deliver that products, install them or sell them, change people's lives. I think you get past about three to five employees and 50% of your time is doing the old thing you used to do. And the other is managing all the stuff and sometimes the chaos that goes with employees. When you get to 25 and 30 and 40 employees, if you have not turned that over to an operator, 
and let them run your company. It is all of your time. Oh, yeah. You are no longer making or delivering products. That's correct. It is all, all of your time is just managing the team. It's kind of like kids. When you have kids, you, you wonder what you did with all the free time you had before you had kids. <laughs> it's true. And it's not that not the employees or kids. They're just people, and they all need to know, okay, what did you want me to do here? What did you want me to do yeah. there? And you're constantly you know, managing all that stuff. And if you don't have a system, if you haven't figured that out going into I it- I 100% agree. What do you think? Two years of absolute depression and anxiety? For sure. Well, I have three kids, and my wife and I joke about this, but when it was two kids, it was man-for-man man defense. We went, to, we went to zone. We went to zone. Like, you can't cover all bases. Wait, two kids was man-to-man, was man man man, man, and now we're in zone, zone D. You know, yeah. Two against three. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to manage. And the same thing happens in business. I call it the Kali syndrome, and Kali is a Hindu goddess uh, you may not know the name, but the face you definitely recognize or the symbol. It's a female figure with six arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that mm. is the definition of most entrepreneurs. We become one brain, but we're micromanaging all of the arms in our business. So most businesses are limited to three, maybe six people, and the entrepreneurs tapped out. I also call it the nine to five syndrome, where you actually work from nine o'clock at night till five o'clock in the morning <laughs> because the rest of the time is managing people Man, and putting that's up how fires. It feels. Did yeah. you did you go through the 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 season where you're like okay well we're gonna let golf go, and then we're gonna let I remember yeah. I'm gonna let golf go, I'm gonna let all sports except for football on TV I've got to let that oh, go I never let football go that goes well I, I still get to watch a couple games, uh, but where it really hit was I used to go to movies to recharge I would go to a movie like once a week and I'd go by myself I'd go during the day sometimes on a work day yeah yeah. It just recharges me. Yeah. And there came a point where I realized it's been two or three months since I've ever stepped foot in a movie. But appropriate delegation and figuring out how to manage a team gives you all of that time back, I would hope. It right? does. You know what I did, which what? I think is the biggest sin, is I said, I got to go back to the old way. It was better. So there was a time when I was doing everything myself. I had three employees working like crazy. And it was exhausting by total control. Once we got to five or six employees, I'm like, this is unmanageable. I need to go back to the way it was and considered letting go of four or five people and actually ultimately did and went back to three or four people. I'm like, this is a nightmare again. <laughs> so the, you know, the, it was the grass so the is problem greener. Was you weren't delegating or figuring out how Definitely to- Definitely was not delegating, was not building process, but was also very confused about things that I thought were standard affair, like setting a vision for a company, what that means. I, I was missetting it. I had no idea. I was doing a lot of these things wrong. What were you doing wrong in there? Just real quick. I wanna, what okay. were you doing wrong in terms of establishing a vision? Okay, I can tell a quick story behind it too. Yeah, if you yeah want. please. All right, I had 30 employees at one point in a, a forensics business. We were doing computer crime investigation. My company did the Enron trial. So I do this. I'm like, my gosh, with Enron, and we also did Christy Brinkley's divorce. We started getting these major cases. I'm like, we can do $10 million this year. And it was a high profit business. Yeah. I come out of the office. I call my team together, put Eye of the Tiger in the background, you know, all this pump up music. I had that cheesy, that big sticky note over a whiteboard, and behind it had $10 million. And I said, everyone, this is the year. And I pull it down, like we're doing $10 million. And then it was a silence. And I'm like, how much more hype do we need? Right, like right. $10 million, they yeah. don't get this. My PA at the time, her name was Patty Zanelli. She comes up to me after and says, Mike, you get the new house, you get the new car. Why, why should we care? And I was like, oh my God. Don, that became the epiphany for me. The vision for a corporation, especially a small business, is the vision of the owner. In the larger corporation is the vision of the leadership team. It's a few people that want something and expect everyone else to comply. Right. What I came to realize, and I write about this, is everyone has their own vision. 
Someone want you know one of my employees wants to buy a house. Someone wants to learn to speak Spanish, or they want their dream job. Dream job. Or they want a chance to move up. Yeah, and some people are just like I just want to be home more with yeah. my family. Yeah. Once I started to understand everyone's individual dreams, my goal How was do you tie those to together? align it. Yeah. How do we walk arm in arm toward my dream of ten million and their vision of a new house and learning Spanish? And so everyone's accomplishing goals on the way. And the second I'm serving their goals, not satisfying them, but keeping them accountable to them, maybe giving them support, reciprocity kicks in, and then they care about my dream. Yeah. My thing with with that is, what job can I give you here that supports our bottom line, that sets you up to be ridiculously valuable on the open market? Yes. In other words, if you come in and you do this for us, and I tell my teams this, I tell them this all the time, say it on the podcast, if you come in here and you do this for us, you're going to cause me to have to compete for you. Yeah. Because they're going to try to poach you. Yeah. And by the way, if you're doing a great job and you're making us money, I'm going to compete. Correct. Right? I'm going to try to, because it just makes financial sense. And once people sort of understand that, they're just like, oh, I love this. And then you got people who they do get poached and they're like, I don't know. I kind of like it <laughs> over here because they're the you culture, know, the culture the and all that kind of stuff. You know, and it's you can compete on culture and all that stuff too. Someone said to me once, and this is not my response; it was someone else's. But they said, "If I train my people, I'm going to lose them." And then who, I can't remember. Isn't third, that, I understand, but I also go, "Come on!" Come on. It was a third party. I can't remember who attributed this. They yeah. said, "If you don't train them, train them, they will stay." I'm sorry. Yeah, if you don't train them, they will stay. That I almost see, see that as like akin to not the same as, but akin to an abusive relationship. If yeah. I if I keep this person weak and obliterate their self esteem, they'll stay with me. Dependency. I'm like, well, why do you want to be with somebody with low self esteem? I know. <laughs> Isn't that How horrible? Yeah, that doesn't seem very rewarding to me. But if we do train people, they may go. But first of all, that's in the best interest of them uh, is to serve them. But it's also in the best interest of our company. Yeah. If we're helping people grow, they can contribute accordingly. But sometimes some people have dreams that you may be able to stay with them beyond your employment. I've had people that want to start their own business. I'm like, I'm going to yeah. show you how it is to operate a small business. I'll give you five years here of everything I know. And if you want, I'll be an investor in your new business. I've noticed that nobody wants to actually, it's, I've noticed that like all the people who, who work with me, who could go start their own business, they don't do it. And they don't do it for one reason. They're sane. <laughs> right. They're not they're actually, the 3%. They're actually not crazy. They're not that crazy kid from the kindergarten class. That's exactly. That's funny. It. DTC Pod, hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. DTC Pod is a podcast about all things direct to consumer. Ramon and Blaine cover everything for starting, growing, and optimizing e commerce stores and DTC brands. They talk with founders, marketers, platforms, creators, and marketing and growth agencies, covering topics like brand building, social media, influencer marketing, website conversion, the list goes on and on. So if you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, you need to listen to this podcast. In fact, in episode 299 titled Build a Better Brand with the Ultimate Shopify Accelerator, Ben Scharf, co-founder of Platter, a storefront accelerator for Shopify brands, covers how to streamline a brand's Shopify experience to drive and increase conversion all without bankrupting your business or confusing your customers. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And now back to the show. Okay, the new book is called All In, A Guide to Building Great Leaders and Unstoppable Teams. 
we've basically covered why you would write this book because it's absolutely necessary. I want to do a little flyover, and then we've got some viewer questions. We've got some listener questions. Is that okay if you and I tackle yeah. some questions? Yeah, yeah. All right, you've got four parts of this. Fit, that is you've got to adapt roles. Ability, unleash potential. Safety, I'm very curious about this, cultivate security for everybody. Yeah. And ownership, empower ownership. We've got a lot of questions around that. How, yeah. do you, how do you give ownership? I have really cool stuff for that. Okay, so it's all FASO. Yep. So the FASO framework. Rhymes with lasso. I call it the FASO. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Will you give us a flyover of the FASO model before yeah, yeah. we answer some questions? Okay. So the real quick thing on FIT or on FASO yes. um, is to match people's talents with the tasks your business has as opposed to the titles. Most businesses say, I need a CFO. Well, can you really find that perfect CFO, particularly for a small business? They're not a CFO in the first place. What are all the individual tasks? So I can give you some stories about how we've done this in our own organization. That's but, really smart. But the end is most organizations are a pyramid structure, and that's a bad structure. A web-like structure is far stronger. How's the web work different than a pyramid? Okay. so Like, I a, had, like a, a hub and spoke kind of deal? Uh, Yeah, but with a lot of spokes interconnecting. So okay. I'll give you an example. At my uh, forensics business, my receptionist was really good at greeting people but also I had to do data entry. That was part of the receptionist uh, title. My salesperson was really good at closing, horrible farmer. Well, I realized that I'm broken the tasks is my receptionist is a good farmer. She can build these relationships. So he said, oh my God, you need to start doing some of these sales roles. My uh, salesperson- so you, you made her the SDR or something and pat, she passed up to the account executive when you exactly. realized she had that she would, talent she would, Exactly. She, well, when, they, when they, she had a lead, she would just matriculate it and keep the, it going and, and build strong relationships. People wanted to stay because of her. Yeah. They trusted her. My salesperson was really good at data entry. That's why he was such a good closer. He was always running the analytics and saying, this is the time to call. This is this is closing time. So we put him into data entry too, which she was doing. By crossing over, both matched her talents. Both were more satisfied and we were running much more efficiently. We ran a leaner organization, but we started to blur titles. You're not really the sales guy anymore. You're not really, his name was Rob. So you're more of just the Rob role. Uh, her name was Jen. You're more the Jen role. It started to blur titles. I can't say you have to get rid of titles altogether, but it starts exploiting talents. Gotcha. And so that, I mean, that that sounds a little bit like an introduction to chaos as people don't know what they're supposed to do. So what does a job description look like based on that? Right. So what we you, do you is- You make it really, really clear? Like We here. make it very clear on the tasks. We don't have job descriptions. We have task descriptions saying, here's the tasks that we need satisfied. And in most that's cases- really interesting. In most cases, we can't find one person that's good at a single title. And I would even argue in your organization or mine or any other organization that uses titles- it's hard to find someone that is 100% capable in all areas, but we want someone who is. So by matching talent to the different tasks, we find people that are much stronger at each individual individual task. Got it. All right, fit. We got to find. We got to match talent to tasks. Ability. We have to unleash everybody's potential. Yeah, this one and- blew my mind when I discovered it. There are three types of ability. Most businesses only look at one. Some look at two, and never do they look at the third. And this is the most important. So first is experiential ability. That is what you've done in the past is, is an indicator of what you'll do in the future. Almost all businesses look at that. What's your resume like? Okay. The next is innate ability. Innate ability is what Myers-Briggs or Predictive Index or StrengthsFinder, Enneagram, yeah. whatever those what's find. What's your quote-unquote gifting is. Exactly. Yeah. But the biggest ability everyone ignores is potential ability. Huh. Potential ability is what can you do in the future? If, if I know you can perform well here in the future, well, gosh, that's what the role you should be playing. So we have to find potential. The question, of course, is how do you find potential ability? There's a whole industry that does this very well. It's a sports industry. And the fact that you're a fan of football works. Yeah. Most businesses do interviews. Tell me what you've done, and that'll indicate the future. The sports industry, like football, they say, come to a camp. We're going to teach you to get better. So they're actually elevating every player. 
I played, as an example, I played lacrosse in high school. I went to Hobart in the Northeast. It's a good lacrosse school. They had a camp for 500 students. Certain students were tapped on the shoulder during camp and saying, hey, uh, you should come to another field here. They were elevating up and cherry picking the best students. Out of that class of 500 students, two or three were picked to play Hobart. Not, not one of them. But I played collegiate lacrosse in a big way because of that camp. Yeah, I was trained. So camps elevate everyone and you get to cherry pick the best fit. The best example of how business can do this is Home Depot. You may not know this. Home Depot recruits people by having camps. They do this birdhouse workshops. You're, you're going to bring your daughter. They're going to sucker you. And they're going, hey, Don, come on to Home Depot. Build a birdhouse with your daughter. Yeah. Then what they do is they observe the participation of all the folks down there. And they say, Don, you're really into this. You're helping other parents. You really know what you're doing. This is the type of person we want at Home Depot. You ever consider working here? It's a recruiting platform. That is really funny. I had no idea they yeah. were doing that. Domino's does it. Very few businesses do it. They though. definitely would not choose me, by the way, if I took my daughter. I'd be like, <laughs> right. And this guy's going to hurt people. But, but what's so amazing <laughs> is they ingratiate you with the store. You're more likely to buy there. So you yeah. build an affinity while growing people. It's the best recruiting mechanism. Workshops. That's brilliant. All right. Safety cultivates security. Yeah. Big one for a lot of people. Not very good at this. Not good at this. And there's, there's I would say that we, we crush this, and it is a serious competitive advantage. I thought I crushed it, and I suck at it. What, so now, what, how did you discover you sucked at it? We had a risk of physical safety. So there's different degrees of safety. Physical safety, this is the Maslow hierarchy. Yeah. If, if you feel unsafe physically, you cannot work. Um, the harm's going to come upon right. you. Then you have what's called financial safety. Financial safety emanates out of knowing the security of the company, not just myself. If I don't know that my company's secure, I don't feel safe. Open books is the best way to address financial security. Love that. Emotional and communal security. Does my team connect with each other and feel they can reveal their true selves in front of the group? But here was the uh, physical safety that blew me away. We ran a survey, anonymous survey of my little team and said, how do you feel about safety? And three people said, I don't feel physically safe here because there's a dark alley that goes out of our space to the parking lot. It's, it's pitch black. Starting around two or three o'clock when the sun starts setting, people were thinking, my God, I have to walk down this dark alley. I don't feel safe. So what we simply did was install lights. I never thought about it. Wow. But half my team- But that is an emotional, recurring, negative association yeah. happening every day at work. Yeah. Some people are parking on the street, getting ticketed because you're not allowed to park on the street more than two hours. People are taking risks to avoid potential physical consequences. And even though it seems innocuous and nothing's ever happened in our town for 50 years, it is a physical threat. Hmm. So just installing lighting sort of resolve that for everybody. How do you do, how do you make people f feel safe emotionally? I mean, how, you know. The leader's got to lead. The leader has to demonstrate that he's Emotional got risk taking. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's also a drip campaign. You don't start off and say, oh, by the way, I suck. And let me reveal right, this right, horrible right. stuff about myself or, or challenging stuff. Just let the, the truth out in, in drips and drabs. In this book, I interviewed a transgender man, born female, had a sex change, worked for the White House. He was managing uh, Social Security's budget as a, like a billion-dollar component he had. One day, someone came to him and said, hey, uh, they're talking about sports. He said, do you ever play sports? And he wanted to say, yeah, I played softball. But then he's like, I, if I say this, I can't. Then I said, well, how did I play softball? I'm a guy. Right. And he's like, maybe should say, hey, I played baseball, but then I'm lying. So he said, I'm not going to say anything. He's like, no, nah, I never, never played sports. I did track a little bit. And kind of just started downplaying himself and ultimately left not because people were being critical or harmful toward him. He just didn't feel he could express himself. Right. The leader of his team needs to start expressing themselves to make people feel comfortable in revealing who they yeah. true self is yeah. or are. Yeah, you got to model that. That's the only way to do it. You that. have to model it. Yeah. All right. Oh, ownership. This was my favorite section of the whole book. 
There's two forms of ownership. There is what's called physical or legal ownership, and there's what's called psychological ownership. We need to give our employees psychological ownership. I was researching ESOPs. Many ESOPs fail as a form of legal ownership. What happens is there's a form of entitlement. I now own a part of your company. Well, now it's part of my company. Where's my money? Right, right, right. Here's the best example I found. When you rent a car, look at how you treat it. You, you go out of that DMZ kind of checkout situation. The second I pull out of the rental agency, I'm doing donuts in the parking lot. You know, <laughs> I abuse the car. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, I know you do too. I suspect you accelerate a little more. I suspect you don't wash the car before you return it. No, I don't okay. wash the okay. car. At least I got something on Don Miller <laughs> I'm here. I'm just curious as to whether you're like, are you wrecking rental cars? That'd be, no, I'm not. I'm going to hang but, out but with I you one day. Them. Here's <laughs> the reason. When we're forced to comply, we will seek to defy. We're giving an instruction set. Fill it with gas, no dents and scratches, clean interior. So we seek ways to get around that or to exploit our advantage. Happens in business too. Most entrepreneurs or business leaders assign responsibility. This is what you got to do. There's consequence if you don't. So if we're forced to comply, we'll seek to defy. People who hmm. flourish when you nourish. So here's the flip side. It's called psychological ownership. Psychological ownership is where you give people freedom of responsibility, control, and personalization over an object, over a response, a, a field or a category. They will start to to uh, nourish it. Think about your own car, the one you own. Maybe rental cars are not that abusive. <laughs> but I suspect you do wash your own car. I do, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. The funny thing is I take better care of my own car too yeah, than I do a true. rental. But here's the thing. I don't actually own my car. It's the release. The bank owns it. I have psychological ownership. Psychological ownership means I can have total control over it. I park it, drive it wherever I want, whenever I want. I can give it a sense of personality so I can put dice on the rear view mirror and stuff. And I know it intimately. That's what we need to give people in their roles in the company, ability to personalize what they're doing and an opportunity to understand it intimately and have control over it. And that's when they take on actual ownership and wash the proverbial car. Well, I'm, I'm going to read that part of the book. There's no question because that it, it, all of this is a huge advantage in the marketplace if you're shopping for talent. There's no question about yeah. it. And the difference between okay talent and good talent and great talent is millions of dollars in your bottom line and oh my god and so much more impact that you can have you know it's this is the key it's critical so i, I started speaking on this and i spoke to a group it's like a big group it's like a thousand people which is atypical for me usually it's a few hundred thousand people in the room and i said who here is an a player these are all leaders of businesses every single hand goes up and i said okay i believe it i said what percentage of populations a players and just shout it out two percent five percent the biggest was ten percent so I said, okay, everyone here is an A player, yet 10% of the population is A players. Either there's some like bizarre <laughs> statistical anomaly happening or, or one of these- Or you think you're somebody you're not. Yeah, yeah. Or, or everyone's an A player. And my argument is actually everyone is an A player if they're matched to the right fit. Yeah, that's a great way to view it. Everyone's fantastic. Yeah, it's a great they way They may not be fantastic it. for your company. I got to be right, clear right, on right. that. Yeah. So you look at a person that you think is a total drag. Well, they're put into something that is their passion or their interest. They'll excel. Yeah. Oh, this guy doesn't sleep all day. He could be a great bed tester. I don't know what it is, but it may not be with me. Everyone's an A player. And if we go in with that mentality, I think we're going to serve our organization better. I love it. Mike, thanks for joining us. Will you come back and we'll take some questions from the audience? Because we didn't get a chance to do it on this episode. I think we're going to turn this into two episodes. Oh, you got a deal. All right. So we're going to take questions, your questions on how to recruit, retain, and get the most out of talent, how to drive everybody's potential up. All that with Mike Michalowicz. That's next week on the Business Made Simple podcast. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Don. Do you have a question about something that's holding you back from growing your business? Then go to businessmadesimple.com slash podcast for a chance to have Don coach through it on the show. 
You can even let us know in your question if it's for Don and Mike Michalowicz about recruitment or talent retention, or even just getting the best out of your team. And it might be selected for next week's show. Either way, submit your questions around what's holding you back from growing your business at businessmadesimple.com slash podcast.